was legendary. People would give things to Edison to examine, and he would be able to tell you how it was made. This is that kinesthetic capability. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hey, Jim, I was on the phone the other day and one of my customers needed tooling to machine 300 series stainless steel. He was having a really difficult time with it. Does Car Machine cut that type of stainless? Yeah, Jason, as a matter of fact, we do. And you know what's weird? Coincidentally, I'm working on a hot quote right now that calls for 304, 304L stainless steel. And I'm really not sure what the L stands for. That's interesting. Who's supplying your stainless steel bar stock? Of course, you know I use copper and brass sales. They're a division of ThyssenKrupp materials. They're local. They stock the stainless steel in a lot of diverse sizes, and their sales staff is very knowledgeable. I get an idea. Let's give my inside rep, Bill Appenzeller, a call and have him educate us and our listeners on 304, 304L stainless steel grades. That's a great idea. Let's call Bill. You got his number? I do. Yeah, right here. Dial him in. All right. This is Bill. How may I help you? Hi, Bill. Jim Carr at Car Machine and Tool. How are you today? Jim, how about yourself? You know, I'm not too bad, thanks. Hey, Bill, I've got a hot quote I'm working on right now for a good customer, and it calls okay. it calls for 304, 304L stainless steel. The mm-hmm. size, you may want to write this down, the size is three-quarter by one-and-a-half rectangular flat stock, and I okay. need 50 pieces cut 19 and one-eighth long. Is that something you would stock? Well, not to the length, but we do have the capacity to cut for you. That's not a problem. Is that rectangular? Uh, What does that rectangular bar stock come in lengths of, 12 feet lengths? 12 foot lengths, yes, sir. Okay. And is that a cold finished product? Well, there's two types. There's uh, sheared and edged, and then there's hot rolled, annealed, and pickled. Uh, Your tolerances are going to be a little bit tighter on the hot roll material. Uh, The sheared and edged, it's basically sheared from plate and edge condition. Uh, That would be a little bit less expensive, but your uh, tolerances are going to be a little greater. Okay. I definitely want to stick with the, for the quote at least, for the hot rolled um, pickled and annealed. So I have another question for you, Bill. The drawing specking out 304-304L stainless steel, I really don't know. know, I've been in this business my entire life, and I I really don't know what that L stands for at the end. Can, Can you enlighten me, please? Sure. The L indicates low carbon material, which would be a maximum carbon of 0.03. So the L stands for a lower carbon. So the other one has a higher carbon content? Well, 304 is allowed a maximum carbon of 0.08. Okay. And L grade is a maximum carbon of 0.03, which would help in your welding. 
Okay, I see. Perfect, perfect. Is that the primary application for the L is, is for welding? Uh, in most cases, yes, that would be correct. What about the machinability? Of, which one is better for machinability, Bill? Machinability doesn't matter between the 304 or 304L. Your 304 stainless is more of a product for, for welding, food sources, and the like. Uh, if you're looking for machinability, you would want to use a 303 or a 416, but that contains a lot of sulfur. That is, that is what aids in your machinability. Is the sulfur content in the, in the material? That is correct. Okay. So do you, do you stock that three-quarter by one-and-a-half um, rectangular flat? Is that yes, something you would stuck? Okay, cool. Last question. My customer is asking for DFARS compliant material. Is this material sourced domestically? Or is well, that, is that what DFARS is? Question, Jim, just to make sure we're both headed the same way. Sure. DFARS does not necessarily mean domestic. Really? Mm-hmm. So what, do, what does DFARS mean? There's DFARS countries that material can come in from. Uh, Italy is one. England is another. There are some others where it could be foreign material, but due to trade agreements, it's considered a DFARS country. And therefore, if someone's calling out DFARS, uh, it can come from sourcing other than U.S. only. Huh. I did not know that. You educated me on two things this morning. (laughs) Anyway, thanks a lot. Can you email me that quote over this morning? Sure. What's your email out there, Jim? It's com. How soon do you think I can have that? I should have that over to you in the next 10 minutes. Not a problem. Perfect. Very good. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate Uh, your help. All right. We thank you kindly. We'll get this over to you in just a little bit. All right. Bye-bye. You know, Jim, I, I really did learn something about stainless steel that I did not know before. So that was great. Bill's very knowledgeable about the product and, you know, he really is a professional. I agree, man. Uh, Copper and Brass Sales has been an approved car supplier for over 20 years. It's always a pleasure to work with them. Yeah. And to our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the materials and services at Copper and Brass Sales, you can go to their site, which is copperandbrass.com. Is it A-N-D or A-N-D. ampersand? Okay. There's no ampersands in, okay. in the World Wide Web, Jim. Jeez, you're educating me too. They're part of the ThyssenKrupp Materials Group of North America. Yeah. Or give Bill a call, just like we just did, uh, 630-563-3355. Tell him you heard him on the Making Chips podcast. He would love to hear that great feedback. Yeah, and also you can go to onlinemetals.com, which is also a ThyssenKrupp company, and they have extended their promo code to our listeners. So if you enter CHIPS2 in the promo code field box, you'll automatically get 15% off from your order. Awesome. They need to hurry because that promo code has just about been exhausted. Onlinemetals.com, promo code chips This is part two of a two-part interview with Sarah Caldicott on Making Chips. If you'd like to hear part one, go to makingchips.com slash 36. So Sarah's most recent book is The Midnight Lunch. And what we are doing here right now at the hardware store by Bilink is The Midnight Lunch, which Sarah is a um, consultant for Bilink in order for them to use this as a process for innovation for their company. But Sarah also wrote another book called Innovate Like Edison. And this was her second book. Actually, first book. First book. It came out in 07. Innovate Like Edison came out in 07 from Penguin. And Midnight Lunch came out in 2013 from Wiley. Okay. And I met Sarah yesterday. We went out to dinner and I read the summary about 
40 or 50 pages for Innovate like Edison, and I really enjoyed it. So I'd like to just ask you some questions um, in general about some of the stuff that I learned in this book and how we can you know, bring this back to the um, manufacturing community for manufacturing leaders. So one of the first quotes that I'm going to read to you is, um, is from your book. So Thomas Edison invented systematic innovation, and there is much to be gained by revisiting his methods and making them relevant to the challenges we face now. Edison was, of course, an exceptional genius, but the greatest product of his genius was the establishment of a systematic approach to success that he believed anyone could emulate. Yes. So this is basically a summary in two sentences of your sure. book, Innovate Like Edison. Right. So how would you define systematic innovation? Very briefly. Edison was a systems thinker. For example, he revered nature, which is a network of systems. Yes. And he liked to think about his products and services as systems. What's interesting about how Edison was approaching his innovation efforts was he wasn't doing this on what we would think about as a task oriented approach. There's a wonderful book by Daniel Kahneman. And he's a, a Nobel Prize winning uh, author in economics. And he wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. A lot of times we're really good at thinking in what Kahneman would describe as system one, which is, hey, give me the facts, give me the data, give me the checklist. I'm going to check it off. I'm going to go through, analyze, be done. System two is, you know what? I need to take some time. I need to look at the patterns. I want to figure out there's a strategic connection here. I'm not sure what it is but I will find it. The brain slows down a little bit more and actually steps back and sees the forest for the trees. Edison's systematic approach to innovation is system two, seeing the forest and the trees. So it's not just how fast can I move through this effort? You know, how many things can I check off my checklist? It was a different way of thinking. And, and a lot of times it seems like that comes just through conversation and through collaboration with your fellow employees, not just looking at the data. One aspect of that is true. In Innovate Like Edison, I talk about the five competencies of innovation. And these are the clusters of patterns and sequences that Edison was iterating through over and over again. So we can look at collaboration as one of those five competencies. In Innovate Like Edison, I call it mastermind collaboration. So, but we can look at other things. We can look at, for example, the fifth competency, super value creation. Wow, how do I develop a product? Right? That's a different question. It's a different piece of the collaboration equation. Yes, I'm going to make something now. I want to intentionally put something together that hasn't existed before or could be an improvement on something that exists now. What are the things I want to keep in mind? So this is, again, the holistic approach to development of a product. And so it isn't just about the collaboration piece in that sense. It's what can, how can I approach the problem from multiple angles? I talk about that as kaleidoscopic thinking, the second competency of innovation. How do I navigate the highs and lows of this process? That's the third competency, full spectrum engagement. How do I even believe that what I'm doing is valuable or will lead somewhere that's the first competency, the solution-centered mindset. Part of how Edison really differentiated himself from others in his competitive sphere was his belief that he could do it. Mm -hmm. His positive, optimistic sense that the answer is out there. In fact, there are multiple answers. 
if I can just find one or two, I know I can solve this. Let's kind of step through some of these briefly. Edison was somebody that, you know, he had a product line, he innovated, he was creating things that weren't in existence before. We do have a lot of listeners that do have their own product line and they do bring innovation to the products that they develop. But we also have a lot of listeners who don't have their own product line and they don't intend to have their own product line. So they're they're I making like, like like Jim Carr. Right. Sure. And so they're making product to somebody else's specifications. So can a manufacturing company like that bring systematic innovation to their company? Absolutely. And some of what's happening today is called the customer journey map or end-to-end marketing. And this can be something that a manufacturer looks at with great intensity. How do I get people into my organization considering me as a provider for them? And what is literally... When you, say, when you say into your organization, into your employment channel, no, is that what it, you mean? to become a customer of yours. Oh, to become like, a customer right. of mine. Right. So, so how do they even and, find me? How do they yeah, come to locate me, me right. online, by email, on my website, whatever it might be? That's the first cluster of steps. The next cluster is how do I then interact with them? Do I meet with them in person? Do I call them on the phone? Do I do a, let's say, a WebEx or a GoToMeeting or something like that to introduce them to what I have to offer, like, say, via PowerPoint, what have you? That's maybe then the second cluster of this prospects or even customers experience. The third thing might be the proposal. What does our proposal include? How can it show an expansiveness of thinking in the proposal itself? How many options am I offering to this customer? Right. One, two, or four? And how thoughtful, how, how thoughtful are these options in the scheme of what the customer might be considering? That can change the game for a customer choosing you, a prospect choosing you. you are, you're talking about like the questions that you ask when you're going about quoting out a job or delivering sure. a job to the customer. I think what you're thinking is anticipate their needs. Yes. Anticipate their needs. So if they come to you and they want a, a price on three pieces of that, I automatically give three columns of pricing to show that I'm trying to be proactive. I'm trying to give them the best, the best bang for their buck. And I, and I do have a very detailed list that I put on my quotes that says what exactly is included in all this. And I mean, I spell it all out to the T, you know, you're going to get an email tracking link when I ship your job too. Right. So it's all, I I do understand that, Sarah. It's all about a detailed proposal. Sure. Yeah. Well, at that step. So these are kind of like touch points, quote unquote, right? So all the way through the process, you know, we might be at touch point eight right now, right? The the proposal could be touch point eight. So then from there, it's how are you following up on the proposal, what kind of dialogue are you able to have at that stage? And then let's say you you win the job. Fabulous. Yeah, I'm smiling. Now what man. happens? Okay, so, yeah, right. so now, how now. will we then approach the customer to begin? This is where BioLink is saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to have a midnight lunch with some of your people because we want to think about the context of where this part is going to go, where this process is going to go, etc. Not just what we put in our proposal and what you asked us for because there's probably more to it. Oh, there's right. probably more than what we could put on paper here Absolutely. that is going to solve this challenge. So let's have a collaboration. We're going to spend five, six hours together in this midnight lunch process. And from there, we will be able to move very rapidly 
to solve this challenge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe we're at touch point 14 now. I don't know, you know, where, but, but so these are innovations. These are how do I go to business, go to market with your organization? Mm -hmm. How do you approach me? How am I seen? In this context of the manufacturing What's your arena. brand? Right. What's your brand? Right. What are you about? It's hard to, to show your prospect what your brand is. They have no experience with you. So until you start working together and engaging and exchanging dialogue and papers and emails and phone calls, that's how you start to develop your brand from early on. Sure. Right. But even think about a trade show. I'm sure okay. a lot of your listeners are out at trade shows. They have booths or they're interacting with other people at trade shows. Consider this point one. This is part of your brand. This is you interacting with others. Yep. What can you offer them? Do you have, you know, a three page handout? Do you have a link? Do you have a business card that is different? Can you send them a podcast? All kinds of things you can do, even in that very first interaction to set yourself apart. Yeah. So, right. Corporate we're not often think about that, right? So, yeah. that's really valuable information. And I think it's really relevant. Yes. So another one of the points that you made, which, which I really honed in on, is to cultivate charismatic optimism. Right. It's important for a leader, the people that are listening to making chips, to be very optimistic in their roles as the leaders of the company. But I think at the same time, you also need to be prepared and have the understanding that something bad is eventually going to happen. You know, Jim and I talked about this in one of our very early podcasts that there is going to be another recession right. and we want to make sure that our listener base is prepared for that recession to be coming. But you also have to be optimistic. So you told a story about how Edison had a fire at one of his yes, laboratories right. and destroyed a considerable Absolutely. amount of equipment and innovation right. that was there. And he looked at this from a positive standpoint, which was that this gave him the opportunity to start fresh. Well, and to develop and to bring in the latest technology. So this happened at the West Orange Lab, I think it was 1913, Wow! in December of that year. What city? Going into Christmas, right? West Orange, oh, West New Orange. Jersey. Okay. And so going into Christmas orders, right? Big time of the year. A lot of revenue happens then. So this fire broke out mysteriously. Mm -hmm. Still to this day, do not know how the fire happened. I bet it was arson. <laughs> it could have been. And Edison is in his 60s at this point, mm -hmm. right? So he's well into his career and lost about $5 million in that fire. That was a lot of money in 1913. Some 60% of which was covered by insurance, but the rest he footed himself. Wow. So he said, hey, I'm, I'm making phonographs here. I'm making movies here. I'm going to bring in the latest technology to upgrade my manufacturing capability. So Thomas Edison said, hey, you know what? I'll bring in my friend Henry Ford's assembly line to begin using that as I'm making the phonograph and other things I'm manufacturing. I haven't been using it. It just, you know, came to be some 10 years ago. I'm going to apply this right now. So literally, as the fire is happening, he's drawing pictures of the new buildings. He's wow. looking at the he's smoke drawing, going into the air. His, and, he, and he's he drawing his, his new stuff. his entire family there and says, hey, look at this. You're never going to see anything like this again in your lives. So I would be falling down crying in oh, the so snow. He's learning he's from learning this. He's learning from yeah. it in real time. Yeah. And saying, hey, come look at this. Right. Watch this burn. Right. So we're talking about losing phonograph discs and cylindrical records of famous world figures like Leo Tolstoy, the author, wow. people he had interviewed, people who were famous in world history, original patent documents, 
models of some of his early inventions gone forever. One of the other things that I really enjoyed about learning about him is that because the reason that making chips podcast exists is that we want to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. So we want to give them some knowledge. This isn't knowledge necessarily from Jim and I, but this is knowledge that we get from the community, that we get from different people like Sarah. And we just want to have this community where we seek knowledge relentlessly, like you mentioned right. in your book. And okay. I think that that's very important. I'm a big reader. I like to ask questions. And those are two of the things that you talked about in the podcast. And I think that those things are very important. Different people get knowledge in different ways. Sometimes it's listening to an audio book. Sometimes it's reading a book. Sometimes it's listening to a podcast. But he felt that it was very important to seek knowledge relentlessly on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And part of how he did that was to encourage his employees to read Edison had a three-story library on location at the West Orange Lab. In fact, it housed 10,000 volumes, which at that time, in the 1880s, made it one of the top five largest libraries in the world. So not only is Edison creating breakthrough industries, he's encouraging people to, to read broadly mathematics, physics, aspects of science, as well as the classics and Shakespeare. And science fiction. Jules Verne was one of his favorite authors. Mm -hmm. So he wanted people to do this because it exercised different parts of their mind, right? He wanted them to do that. And he wanted them to start seeing patterns in their reading material, which they could then translate to their projects. So we forget about this today is how are you helping your employees see patterns? The future is about patterns. Internet of everything, internet of things, whatever you want to call it. Well, what can we attach to what? How do we create value in some new loops? Edison would be all over this. So this is how he was thinking and wanted his employees to be thinking. So seeking knowledge relentlessly was about reading broadly and beginning to see patterns. Jim, you, you know, you asked me before if I had, you know, done anything like this midnight, yeah. midnight lunch. But one of the things that I that I have just started doing is that I handed a group of my leadership team a book and we're, we're starting to read a book together. So this is something that we are starting to do together. And I think that it's going to be a great experience for us to have together. Right. And that's know? dialogue too, yes. right? It's going to create dialogue. Talk about yes. it, creating that sort of level playing field too. Yeah. And, you know, during one of our previous podcasts, we talked about job costing. And one of the things that that Jim brought to the table, which I would have never thought about, is that when he costs out a job, he doesn't want to just see you know, information on a piece of paper. He wants to hold a piece of material that is the same relative shape, size, weight, all those kind of things and really feel it, close his eyes, you know, see that piece in order to make imagine it, it, touch it. Yeah. Make sure that he's quoting this job and he's providing the maximum amount of value that he can for his customers. And one of the things that you did mention in your book is that Thomas Edison was a big fan of engaging the other senses. Absolutely. Oh, really? Absolutely. In fact, Edison was a kinesthetic learner. Which is I really don't know what that is. What what is a kinesthetic learner? It means that he learned and gained information by touching things, oh, okay. feeling them, taking them apart and putting them back together. Really? So I talked earlier about this sort of three D thinking style that he had. Like he could almost imagine how to manufacture it while he was thinking about it or drawing it. This is that kinesthetic capability. He could imagine the materials, he could guess, you know, how much it would weigh, etc. It was legendary. People would give things to Edison to examine, and he would be able to tell you how it was made. So it, it's this kinesthetic sense that went very deep. 
he was deaf in his left ear by the time he was 16. Oh, that's and interesting. And so auditorially, right, he was challenged. And so it's remarkable to me that this is the man who also invented recorded sound. Absolutely. The man who was hard of hearing. And so he had to actually listen very acutely. And he was very discerning about the music that was recorded on his discs. So yes, it's it's the touch, it's the taste, it's the sound, it's the physical feeling of all of this. Edison yeah, actually had a vacation home in Fort Myers, Florida, and he shared this property with Henry Ford. On this property were acres of research gardens. It's now been covered over by a parking lot, <laughs> but they actually are going to replant these gardens and take the parking lot elsewhere. Edison was using natural substances in his experiments. In fact, the first filament was made of bamboo fiber. So you want to talk about touching and smelling. Go out to the research garden, pick the plant, pick the flower, take the bark off the tree, smell it. Hmm, is this cedar bark? Oh, yes, it is. Right? So this is where that tactile and that even aromatic, right, sense comes in. You walk into a manufacturing plant, you can smell. And oh yeah, you can, you, things, you can smell right? when um, when something is wrong in the sure. manufacturing product Absolutely. process. You can hear it. You know, right. I, I so, can hear. Right. I, I can hear it sitting in my office, at my office, at my desk, and by the sounds that I hear in that shop, I sure. know something's going wrong. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That pattern is shifted. Let's go through a couple other items quickly. One of the other notes that you made was that he kept a personal notebook. So I imagine that this was, and he also encouraged others to do the same thing. Yes. So Jim and I actually talked about keeping a notebook and the way that we do that in a previous podcast. We both use Evernote. It's very searchable, but he had Excellent. paper notes in order to write all these things down. And I imagine that couldn't have been easy to keep track of, but he was a big proponent of making sure that you wrote down everything. I'm a big proponent of that. I can't remember everything in my brain. You know, no, my, my, my yeah. wife will tell me something and I'll literally forget five seconds later. So I need to write down everything I possibly can. So he also would agree with that. Absolutely. And in fact, one of the things I realized as I was writing Innovate Like Edison, I, I promised myself that I would do every single thing that I was writing about. And so at that time, I was keeping a notebook about things I wanted to write about, but I wasn't keeping a notebook about other things, things I observed, ideas that I had that just floated through my head. And so I committed to myself that I would start doing it. I thought, oh, how great can this be? You know, okay, well, I'll document my thinking. But I started using my smartphone. I started using the notes function on my smartphone. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, it was the best exercise of any. Seriously, just by utilizing that one piece of technology. That one tool is a huge multiplier. Because what it was enabling me to do is to see the patterns in real time. I'd have little subjects, right, for my notes, like themes. Okay, so under this heading, I'm going to put these ideas. Under this other heading, I'm going to put these other ideas. And so as you start accumulating these, you're looking back going, wow, this is really good. And I never would have been able to cluster these things effectively if I was not writing them down immediately in my phone. So... Edison had a personal notebook, yes, but he had a dozen other notebooks by theme that he had at his desk and in the lab. So this was not just your average notebook effort. We can go back and go through Edison's experiments minute by minute because of this. We know exactly how he constructed attacking the battery, looking at the the motion picture concept, 
and his teams as well. We can go back and look at what were they examining? How long did it take them? What else did they consider? Etc. So this is massive. This is like cute quality control, right? How long did it take us to troubleshoot this? You would know by going through Edison's notebooks. So we think about it differently today, but this is the number one way to boot up your mind and think like an innovator. I think it also helps in order just the act of writing things down also sparks other ideas in your head and yes. as to how to tackle problems. And it's that network thinking, that systemic innovation we talked about earlier. It's the ping, 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 ping that's going on in your mind, touching other areas of context that you wouldn't normally have, right? Think of a Google search and then go to page 10 of the Google search. Who goes right? to page 10? <laughs> well, no, but I'm saying go do it on purpose. Right. Go to page 10. Right. See what's there. Not just the top 10, but right. go to page 10. Page 10. See what's there. Because those are the things that are actually still being drawn into your thinking, theoretically, right? When you're keeping a notebook, you're reaching back that far. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim and I would like to thank Sarah for being on the podcast. Yeah. I think I think we learned a lot. I think this is very different. One of the other important things that Sarah talks about in the book and that also was one of the uh, the premises of Edison's thinking is that you have to think about different industries and the way that different people think. So I think it's important that even though Edison, you know, wasn't a chip making manufacturer necessarily, he was a manufacturer and he was an innovator he and was we a leader. Need, he, and he, he was a leader and we need to think about the way systematic approach. Yeah, the way we and, do things in yeah. different industries. So it was great having you on the show. Really appreciate it. Such great a pleasure. Meeting you and Thank out you, here sir. in California. Yeah. So um, I guess I would just encourage our listeners to... How do they get a hold of Sarah if they want to talk to her? Actually, that's a great Lincoln. question, Jim. So they can go to her website, which is sarahcaldicott.com. Spell and, it, please, uh, Well, I'm... actually, how about better than spelling it? If they subscribe to our email list, they can actually get these show notes and they can link right right to her website. Fabulous. So yeah, so they can go to sarahcaldicott.com or go to our show notes and they'll get a link right to it. Absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure having you here today. It's and, been great. Uh, yeah. Appreciate it, guys. San Diego. Yeah. San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> Wrap it up. We San Diego, the, bam. Oh, Got to do this ocean. more often. Yes. <laughs> bam. One of the main ideas that I learned from this interview is that every company must have a system of generating ideas in order to create innovation and or solve problems. We didn't discuss this concept, but there is a place that every company falls within the innovation spectrum. Not every manufacturing company needs to be innovative to the same degree that a Thomas Edison or a Steve Jobs uh, pushed innovation, but every company needs to have a system to continuously push their company forward. Yeah, it's a whether, process. It's a process. It's a process. They need right. to have a process, a right. system, whether that's to innovate, solve problems, increase right. production, or cut costs. Right. It's crazy that they were doing it back then, too. Oh, and yeah. It's so inspiring for us. It I mean, is. You know, just to take action and, and to take those ideas that they had, you know, so many years ago. It's invigorating. So I, I do have a um, kind of a, a different comment. I know that there are a lot of fans out there of, I don't know if Jim knows this, of Nikola Tesla. I do. Who well, is actually, Tesla, yeah. yeah, he's the he's the namesake of the Tesla car. And um, there, there actually was a rivalry between Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla. And there are people that actually would say that they're on Team Tesla or Team Edison. No kidding. Um, now, both are equally geniuses and innovators of their time. Um, and I, you know, to be quite honest with you, before this interview, I didn't know a lot about Thomas Edison, and I still don't know a lot about, uh, about Nikola Tesla. But if you have thoughts on what can be learned from Nikola Tesla, 
please make a comment on the show notes for this episode. Jim and I would love to hear about it. Absolutely. Sure would. Um, Thanks to all our listeners for listening into this um, episode with Sarah. She really inspired me. And uh, the, the, the takeaway that I got from her and the tools that I learned from her to bring into my company uh, are, are very powerful. And I look forward to implementing some of them. Are you going to start a midnight lunch? Um, well, we're starting things. We are starting processes, Jason. It's interesting. Something like that. Something like that. You know, we started a, we started a weekly uh, production meeting, and that's getting things started. It's getting conversation going, which is communication which, is key. It is. It is. Oh my God! It's it's so powerful and impactful. So yeah, thanks for all our listeners for listening to this episode where we interviewed Sarah. I mean, she was just a, a inspiring, impactful, and empowering woman, uh, super intelligent. And I'm really going to start utilizing some of those processes that she shared, Jason, in, in my shop and and get it moving. Uh, it, it it moved me that much that I'm going to take those tools and implement them, start implementing them into my own business. So you're going to start something like a midnight lunch. Well, what I'm going to do, what I've already done, and it's, it's been active for about uh, three months now, is we're, we're just having a weekly production meeting with the whole company gets together and we just talk about the jobs we're working on. What that does is it creates collaboration and communication among all levels of people among the shop. If somebody at a higher level has an idea for one of the low-end people, that person can give that relate sharing much yeah, like we're communication doing communication is key for success much like what making chips is doing sharing this knowledge with our with our listeners throughout the world same thing on much smaller scale at car machine and tool but anyway what we need you to do is we need you to go to our website makingchips.com Sign up for our email list, man. As soon as as soon as that new episode is released, you're going to get an email that says, "Hey, here we are. Time to listen again." Um, in addition to that, you'll also receive a link to get a corporate snapshot. Everyone remembers that lovely um, episode with Julie Poulos, uh, episode 22, makingchips.com forward slash 22. And Julie explained all about the corporate snapshot and the power of it. Great. With that, we will see you in the next episode of Making Chips. And what do we say here at Making Chips? I can still hear my dad saying it. If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Jason, bam. Bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. We're, we're okay. No, no, no. We got yours, right. and we got mine. We don't have gyms. Yeah. Yeah. I got pictures. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. We're fine. We're going we're gonna to edit this up, and it'll be fine. We're just going to keep going. <laughs> I was really going. Could you tell? <laughs>